Good evening, and welcome to the Cabinet of Fever Dreams. Tonight, a tale of seclusion, algorithms, and a horrible contraption. The Machine Has Seized My Newsfeed was originally released September of 2020 and is read by yours truly, with additional voices provided by Sam Barlian and Alex Langer, and musical backing by Mew. If you do find yourself scared of your newsfeed being taken over by a shadowy organization that means you harm, don't fret. There's an easy solution to keep all of your online activity brainwash free. In order to keep yourself safe, drop by the Cabinet of Fever Dreams on iTunes and leave us a 5-star review. Once the cults see you have good taste, they'll leave you alone. With all that out of the way, open up your newsfeed, start up that doom scroll, and let yourself be carried away to a universe of terror. I try to reach out. I try to tell others. I try to tell the world about the horrible images that fill my newsfeed when no one is looking. But all I am met with is silence. Every picture is a 404 error. Every video stays in obscurity. Every Reddit post lingers on a solitary upvote. I have been shadow banned from the global form of ideas, and in my digital darkness no one can hear my pleas. No one can heed my warnings. The algorithm has muffled my cries for help. We're in a bar. The air is filled with smoke and cologne and music. My friend is convinced that the bartender is flirting with him, but really, she's flirting with everyone. It's her job. Nevertheless, I try to play along with his misguided search for affection. I try to make small talk about the shared media bubble we both once lived in. I try to act normal, but I don't last long. Have you noticed something off about your newsfeed? I ask. He barely registers my question. Before considering it, he mumbles something about the bartender's breasts, but a drunken birthday party drowns out the details of his comments. He continues to sip on his long island while undressing her with his eyes. There's something wrong with my newsfeed, I say pulling out my phone. Huh? He drags his attention away from her and makes eye contact with me for the first time in the evening. What sort of wrong? I get past the lock screen and register my hands shaking. I can't explain any of it, but in the depth of my core I know that the images that drift through my smartphone are wrong. I know that I have stumbled upon something forbidden, something that human eyes cannot comprehend. There's these videos of... My voice dies in my throat. It's happening again. It's as if my phone knows that I'm reaching out. It's as if it's aware of an extra pair of eyes looking over my shoulder. I impotently scroll through the torrent of information, desperately clawing at the screen with my thumbs, searching for the glimpses of a demented reality that haunts me on sleepless nights. But there is nothing. My newsfeed is filled with articles about how modern democracy is dying and memes about 2020 being a bad year. Aye, the, the post office stuff. My friend smiles, focusing on a particularly alarming NPR article. Yeah. I really hope that the Yanks figure their stuff out. Wouldn't want this place falling back under Russian ownership. No, it's, it's not that, I protest. It's the videos, the machine videos, the videos of the factory, the videos of the fire. Past the dim light fixtures, past the thick cloud of cigarette smoke, past the drunkenness, I can see his eyes struggle with what I'm saying. Nose fades are weird, bro. Last month, all the ads I got were for an IVF clinic. Like, what did I do to make the computer think I want kids, let alone spend a boatload of cash on a test tube baby? He raises his drink. Would I probably chuck one in her oven though, eh? <laughs> he says, nodding to the bartender. We clink glasses, he downs his drink, and sets off on a quest to harass someone from the service industry. 
he's not the first person I tried telling. But as I watch him perform coin tricks at the bar to the annoyance of the other patrons, I realize he's the last one. Everyone has their own story of a strange media diet. Everyone thinks they can relate. Everyone says that this is just a strange hiccup in the algorithm that will pass. For the longest time, I tried convincing myself that that's exactly what all this was. That I've fallen down some crooked binary rain gutter of information and that in a couple of weeks I would re-emerge unscathed. But self-deception cannot deny the burning fear in my stomach. The never-ending assembly line, those jagged pieces of rusted metal, that starving steel maw. The memories of those cursed images make it impossible to finish my beer. Call an Uber. It's two in the morning, but my driver has the pep of someone who's woken up from a good night's sleep. He asked me how my night went, how the beer tasted, whether there were any pretty girls at the bar. Soon enough the conversation dies off and we're left with the rumbling of the radio. An old man raves about how the coalition is selling off the country's future by throwing money at pensioners. They're trying to bribe their way into a re-election. As we ride through the lamplit gothic streets of Prague, I start scrolling through my phone. At first there's nothing. My fingers run through the same torrent of humble brags and sponsored content they have been dragging over for years. But as the road calms from cobblestone to asphalt, the virtual phantoms that have been haunting me start to materialize. Right below the status update where my old karate classmate from grade school muses on about the benefits of a white ethno state, I see it. I see the evidence of something horrible. A factory. The lights are dim. The assembly line stretches out beyond sight. Rusty pieces of metal travel down the conveyor belt in an endless procession of broken shapes. Blistered hands pick up the shards and inspect them. Gentle sobs are heard. The workers of the factory weep as they slave away at their hellish task. Their tears cut through the grime on their face revealing pale skin. You need to see this. I break the silence. Huh? The driver gives me a quick glance before turning his attention back to the traffic light. A flash of green sends the car moving forward. He keeps his eyes on the road. A polite smile forces its way across his lips. What do I need to see? Their eyes stare back at me from the screen. These are no actors. These are people trapped in some horrid ritual. They are pleading for help. They are begging to be saved. This! I yell. You need to see this! I grab the driver's shoulder and shove the phone in his face. The car bounces as we spin onto the sidewalk. It's a busy road. If it wasn't two in the morning, we'd both be dead. All right, you drunk asshole. He says, all pretense of politeness crackling out of his voice. You'll either go sit in the back seat, shut the hell up, and let me do my job, or you can walk. I'm not drunk. The words stumble out of my mouth with enough nervousness to suggest otherwise. You just need to see this. The screen of my phone is black. I try to tap away. I try to find those suffering eyes again, but the technology refuses to cooperate with me. The driver's knuckles tighten around the wheel. Is there going to be a problem? There isn't. I get out of the car and move to the back seat. I stew in an alcohol-laced state of shame and fear for the next five minutes. When we reach my apartment, I limply hold out a hundred crowns as a tip. Screw your cigarette money, you almost kill us both. And don't think I won't make a complaint. He says without looking back. I make my way through the dark apartment complex. It wasn't always like this. Less than three months ago, I consumed the same highlight reel of other people's lives and article headlines that everyone else did. Relatable skits, engagement photos, panicked bar charts about the decline of civilization, Tiger King memes. 
There was nothing differentiating my digital diet from my friends. But slowly, through hungover mornings and tired subway scrolls, something changed. At first there was an influx of home crafting videos, then all knowledge of my friends' lives got replaced with footage of car factories and assembly lines constructing household appliances, and then, among the heaps of mechanized content, I started to see glimpses of it. I tried sending links, I tried posting about it, I tried to figure out if there was someone else within my social circle who was witnessing the transformation, but any attempt to discuss the videos drifted off into small talk about the strangeness of modern media. For a while I tried to make peace with it, to simply accept that my newsfeed was filled up with strange weeping workers and grimy overalls, but then I saw the machine. A skyscraper of rugged metal hidden in an inconceivably spacious den. The exhausted laborers, the never-ending assembly line, they all served the insatiable jaws of the machine. To even think about it tightens my chest. To imagine that somewhere in this world, this titan of a creation exists makes each breath that I take difficult to accept. Yet as soon as I get home, I crash down into my couch, take out my phone, and watch the feeding frenzy of the lifeless idol. A feeling of finality courses through my veins. As I stare into the pitch-black tunnel of the contraption's mouth, I cannot look away. The machine has snared me in its call to action. Somewhere deep inside, I know that one day, one day soon, I will don those blue overalls and sacrifice my life to a god I cannot comprehend. The soundscape of the factory has always been simple. Nothing but the noises of metal grinding against metal and the quiet whimpers of the workers. But suddenly, a blaring siren cuts through the speakers. The strained artificial cry sends the workers scattering from the structure like ants. They panic, they scream, they sprint away in a mad dash to save their lives. An old man who has been attending to one of the razor-sharp teeth of the contraption struggles to get away. His hand seems to have gotten stuck between the metal. It isn't until all the other workers have fled that he pries his bleeding hand from its jaws. He hobbles. His screams struggle to be heard over the siren, his bloody hand leaving a crooked path towards the horror. The old man battles with his frail body to escape, but when the siren of the factory goes silent, he stops. A look of resignation breaks through the terror in his face. He knows what's about to happen, and for some inconceivable reason, so do I. Somewhere in the depth of my core, I feel a glimpse of foresight. It's as if my ancestors saw what is about to happen and they are whispering the future into my ear in their primitive tongues. It's as if the images on the screen have been baked into the pure genetics of my being, as if the machine was an inevitable part of sentient life. The old man turns to face the towering monstrosity. I hear my own heartbeat. Deep in a lifeless god's throat, a bright spark shimmers in the dark and turns into a blinding flame. Like claws, the fire reaches out to the world, grasping for oxygen. The old man ceases to exist. Inferno rages on in its mammoth metal shell. For a split second I start to register the burning heat pressing against my fingers, but before I can let go of my phone, something else grips my attention. In the fire. In the chaotic mess of chemical energy reaching out into the world, I see two blue burning balls of light. They see me. And then, they're gone. The towering mouth of the machine goes dark. All that remains of the fire are the hot white teeth of the contraption and the old man's ashes. The grinding of metal returns. The wailing of the workers becomes audible once more. I 
feel the tears crawling across my cheeks. In a sudden burst of sanity, I throw my scorching phone across the room and go out to my balcony. There are images in my head that I cannot explain. It's as if someone broke my skull open and forced thoughts of an imminent journey into my head. I can see myself getting into an unmarked van. I can feel the soft leather of the seats. I can smell the faint memory of bleach in my blue overalls. These thoughts are not my own. I reach deep into my soul and get rid of them. The night air gives me a semblance of sanity. After wiping away my unexplainable tears, the wind feels good on my sweaty face. I convince myself that what I just saw, what I just felt, was just a momentary lapse of sanity. A little mental breakdown that everyone goes through from time to time and never talks about. The lighter in my pocket touches on the dread in my stomach, but I fight the fear and light up a cigarette. The nicotine studies me further. The Soviet-era housing projects that I live inside of are in near darkness, yet scattered through the dozens of concrete architectural monstrosities I see other burning lights. There are other people on their balconies, smoking, unable to sleep. For a second I feel safe in the idea that I'm not alone in my dread, that in front of me there is a lit up mosaic of other men and women struggling. But soon, my eyes drift to another source of light. It moves silently past the road below me, past all the recycling cans and parked cars. A pair of bright headlights goes dark as soon as they reach my house. A black van, a familiar black van, waits outside of my home. Its doors slide open. I put out my cigarette. The Cabinet of Fever Dreams is written and produced by Mike Jesus Langer and is brought to you by patrons such as Moo, Serafina L, Lucky J. Horton, Alan Rawl, Kuss, Bob Kondrick, Chicken Mixer, and Daniel Wengel. If you'd like to join these fine people in supporting the show and get early access to episodes along with a bunch of bonus content, drop by patreon.com slash Mike J. Langer. And so concludes this episode of The Cabinet of Fever Dreams. Make sure to drop by next episode for a big old jumbo novella that concludes these fiery tales.